You are listening to a Victory Alabang podcast. Jesus died and rose again so we can live a holy life. No more in this message by Pastor Ariel Marquez. We are starting a brand new series entitled Biaheng Semana Santa. This is actually our OPM series. So I think once or twice, uh, once or once every two years, we have what we call OPM. It stands for Original Pinoy Mindsets. And, uh, you know, much of the things that we are celebrating during Holy Week really uh, comes from a very religious mindset. And how many of you are very familiar with what we're talking about? Okay? Familiar with Holy Week? How many of you have made plans already for Holy Week? Sino rito yung mga magpapapako at saka magpapa... No, just kidding, okay? Maybe some of you are planning for a vacation or maybe some of you are planning for a staycation because you realize that it is actually more fun to be in Metro Manila than actually to be outside Metro Manila uh, in Holy Week. And so we're going to take the next uh, three weeks talking about uh, what basically what Jesus Christ has done for us. We're going to try to unpack the significance of uh, or try to understand you know, the reality of you know, the, what uh, we're doing as a, a culture and the significance of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And so for our next uh, three weeks, we're going to have this as our series objectives. Basically, we'd like for our people to see the relevance and significance of Jesus' death and resurrection according to the truth of Scripture, resulting in a genuine faith and genuine relationship with God, even in the midst of religious culture and tradition. You know, just to summarize that, basically what we're looking at really is, you know, we want to be able to find our place in God, knowing that even in the midst of the practice here, you know, where do we find our faith? You know, is this necessary, whatever we're practicing as a Filipino culture? You know, so for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at this, uh, basically these are three uh, places in Metro Manila. The first place is called Balik Balik. How many of you are familiar with Balik Balik? In English, it's uh, Kambak Kambak or Return Return, Okay. And basically what that means is that, you know, many times when people uh, do things, they try to, particularly for this week, they try to view this week as a holy week. And, um, you know, right after this holy week, this one whole week of trying to become holy, trying to be good, trying to sacrifice. And at the end of this week, you actually are living even worse than how you were before. Okay, So you go back to your old ways, thus the term balik-balik. But is there a way of us, you know, being freed from the bondage of sin? Is it really possible for us to live a holy life, not just a holy week? How many of you can say yes to that? Amen. How many of you know that God has called you and me to live a holy life, not just to be holy for one week? That for 24-7, 365 days in a year, that God can actually empower us to live a holy life, no longer going back to our old, old ways. Okay? So we'd like to debunk this balik-balik thing. Next week, we're going to be looking at Paco. Paco is actually a place in Manila. Paco in English means a nail. And this represents the sacrifices that we have uh, you know, as a people. And ultimately, the comp- comparing that to the ultimate sacrifice of all, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And I believe that you know, it's a good way to, for us to be reminded of uh, His sacrifice because that is really the basis of the gospel or the good news. And then uh, on the third week, we're going to be talking about Bagong Pag-asa, another place in Metro Manila, which talks about new hope and new life. Are you ready for that? All right. I am ready. I'm ready. Okay. 
I know that uh, during Holy Week, we all have different pictures of uh, you know, how we would celebrate Holy Week. But as a, as a people, we're really familiar. And some, somehow, when you Google Holy Week, it already would say they're Holy Week Philippines. Because there's a certain way on how we actually celebrate Holy Week as a people and as a nation. In fact, if you talk about Holy Week, it boils down to two things. Either you have a devotion or you go for a vacation. Okay? What an extreme. On, the, on, the, uh, on one extreme, you have a group of people that are looking at spending this time having a devotion, wanting to be holy, wanting to sacrifice, wanting to identify with what Jesus Christ did for them. However, it's devoid of the revelation that they don't really have to do that. And on the other hand, there's a group of people who will take the time to have a vacation. Unfortunately, in their celebration of Holy Week, it becomes an unholy week. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And they become wasted in the beaches of Bohol or Boracay, okay? And, you know, this has gotten, I guess, so popular even to foreigners that sometimes even tourists would come to Manila to basically witness what we know as Semana Santa. Okay, in fact, I'm not really sure it is official, but I found this in the internet. It says, getting hammered more fun in the Philippines. Can you imagine that? Even in Semana Santa, they use this now as a tagline, as a tourist attraction for tourists to come here. And, you know, I grew up basically in Tondo, and I see this. Uh, one of the places that you have in Manila that actually does this, you know, flagellation, you know, actual crucifixion, is found in Tondo. And you will see there every year there are people who have vows or panata who would actually go for the you know uh, uh, scourging, flagellating themselves, cutting themselves until they're really really bloody until the time that they are actually going to be crucified on the cross. And I think outside of Manila, you will find this particular scenario in the the provinces of Pampanga and uh, onwards. Okay, and so so for this particular site, is this really what Jesus? or what God is expecting for His people to act or behave or celebrate what we call Holy Week. And I'd like for us to stand. We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 1. I'd like to, sorry, 6 rather. I'd like to invite everyone to read along. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. So I'd like to invite everyone to read out loud these four verses. Okay, ready? Are you ready? Yun, thank you. Ready? One, two, three. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? In verse uh, 4, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the new life that you have given to us through your Son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, that you've sent your Son, Jesus, 2,000 years ago to live the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And on the third day, rose again from the dead. Therefore, we thank you that the power of the resurrection is also working inside of us. Lord, as your people, we ask that you would give us a divine revelation of how it is to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Yes, 
Every day we might face temptation and sin, but I thank you that you have called each and every one of us to overcome, to not just have one week in a year where we could actually live a holy life, but to really live every day of our lives holy and pleasing to you, our Master. Give your people a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. All right. So uh, basically the context of this uh, book of Romans, it was the Apostle Paul who wrote this. But when uh, the church started in the book of Acts, right after Pentecost, and I'm if you're familiar with Pentecost, but it's, uh, it's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came to baptize the early disciples and they received the gift of tongues. They started prophesying because Jesus said right after he commanded them, go and make disciples of all nations, to wait first for the Holy Spirit to go to them. And he said, and you will be my witnesses in Judea Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so they waited in the upper room. They were baptized. And right after that, the uh, Apostle Peter preached a powerful message and about 3,000 were saved that particular day. Can you imagine one message, one preaching, 3,000 people getting saved? How many of you know that that is a powerful preaching? A powerful message okay, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so many of the people who got saved during that time uh, started going back to their different you know, places or countries or provinces. And some of the Roman uh, believers went back to Rome. And so the Apostle Paul was clarifying you know, some of the beliefs that they actually have. And he would want to you know, clarify, you know, I want you to know these things because this is really important for us. You know, there are three, in fact, there are three uh, times that this particular word came out in chapter 6 of the book of Romans. And this word is the word no. Everybody say no. Okay, what does the Apostle Paul want the believers to know that is essential for their faith? You know, many times when Jesus would, you know, repeat things, you know, that is a way of him emphasizing that it is really important. You know how it is, right? In those days, there's no uh, computers. You cannot do uh, bold or, you know, increase the font size or do underscore or highlight. There's no such thing. But the only way that they can actually um, emphasize a, a certain thing is that they would actually repeat that thing over and over again. And so when Jesus would say something, he would say, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I would say unto thee. Something like that, in the King James Version. You know, no. But you know, the Apostle Paul would actually have words also that he would repeat. In the same chapter of Romans 6, he said this word, no. And he said in, in verse 3, uh, Do you not know that all of us who have been, or who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You know, it is essential for us to know the significance of our baptism. How many of you are baptized already? Please raise your hand. Okay, what are baptized? We're going to talk about that later on, okay? I'm going to try to explain what is the significance of baptism in our walk with the Lord. In, in fact, in verse 6, it says, You know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to what? To nothing. Your old self was crucified with whom? With Jesus. Do you not know that you don't have to go on a Good Friday to be crucified all over again? Because the fact that when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have been identified with Him, you have been crucified with Him. 
so that the body of sin might be without effect and without power over our lives, so that we would no longer be what? Be enslaved to sin. We're going to talk about that also in a while. And in verse 9, it says, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And in the same way, how many of you know that you and I have resurrection power as well? Look at the person beside you and tell that person, you've got the power. Okay, what kind of power? Okay. So we have the power, the resurrection power of Jesus. In fact, Satan would like for us to be ignorant with these things. You know, if Satan would keep you ignorant, you will be impotent or powerless to overcome sin and temptation every single day. The reality is all of us have got the, we have the power to overcome. The devil is actually like a roaring lion. Like, not a real lion. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. We should not fear the enemy. Unfortunately, sometimes the enemy's voice is louder than our own voice. Because he roars and he you know, puts fear in us. He tempts us. And we're subject to that as well. We're subject to temptation. So these are three things or three realities that we would like to know. Okay? The first one being that we used to be slaves of sin. How many of you know what sin is all about? How many are familiar with sin? How many of you have done at least one sin in your life? Please raise your hand. Okay? You just committed your first sin right now, right? Sin of flying, right? Because all of us committed at least one sin in our life. At least one. How many of you did at least two? Please raise your hand. More than two. How many of you did a lot? More than your all fingers combined, diba? I mean, we've done a lot of sins. And even your pastors would stand here. We would actually be, you know, uh, tra- uh, vulnerable, and we would actually be honest with you that we are also we are also subject to the same temptations, to the same sins that you are facing every single day. Unfortunately, the Bible says, "For the wages of sin is what is death." That all sins, even just one sin, can bring a person straight to the pits of hell. Wow. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if that verse stopped there? The wages of sin is death. Oh man. I'm on a highway to hell. Yeah, yeah. We're going straight to hell because of our sins. Nobody else to blame. You can't put a finger. You led me to do this. No, you made your own decision. You made your own choice. For the wages of sin is death. But, everybody say but. How many of you know what but is? No, the good one. Okay, the good one. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. How many of you are, come on, give the Lord praise. How many of you are grateful that there is a provision for eternal life? And we are not to remain dead in our sins. But yet, before we were slaves of sins. You know, before, you know, you, you would like to get away from this trap. You know, somehow you see these shackles on your hand. And, oh, yeah. 
I mean, you've got, you know, you've got to struggle hard to just change yourself. And yes, we're looking at this particular week, Holy Week, when people would actually at least try. And so try. And I try. They're trying to say no to sin, but they cannot. Because how many of you know that you cannot overcome sin just by mere human effort? You cannot. Not by power. Not by your own might. Not by the Spirit of God. I mean, sin is actually something that is present in each and every one of us. In fact, where did this all come from? Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Sin came into the world through one man. Who was that man? Adam. Everybody say Adam. When you go to heaven, turo mo si Adam. Ikaw talaga? But because of that man, because of Adam, because of the choice that he and his wife did by committing rebellion before the Lord, by eating that fruit, sin entered into the world through Adam and death through sin. It didn't stop there. How many of you know that sin will cause death? You know, sin is not just, you know, a kind of a sickness that you and I feel. You know, sometimes, you know, if there's a change of temperature, you get the flu or you get the cold or you get the cough, right? And you just take maybe an antibiotic or maybe an anti-cold medicine and you're all well. But not sin. Because sin ultimately will bring death. It says death through sin so that death, what? Spread to all men because all men have sinned. How many of you have children? Please raise your hand. You are parents. How many of you would agree with me that even our children are sinful and that you don't have to teach them how to sin? They are naturally born with it. You know, they, even if they're babes, sometimes you know, I see cute little babies in the back, cute little babies here, and those of you holding your babies, you know, I'm sure you love them and you consider them cute because they look like you. <laughs> but as you look at your child slipping, sleeping in your arms and not doing anything except to, you know, drink milk and just poo and you know, sleep, yet deep inside that child has the capability and propensity to destroy things and to become selfish and to become wicked and to become rebellion, rebellious rather. Because the sinful nature has been passed down from generation to generation until that child. And you would realize that you do not have to teach your child to be, to be selfish. It will come naturally. Especially if you have at least two children. You will find that out already by now. You know, the other day we were, you know, my wife basically convinced me finally to watch Cinderella. <laughs> Let me tell you, real men watch Cinderella, by the way, okay? I am, I am very secure about my masculinity. But anyway, so my children, my girls watched this movie three times already. And they, they, memor- they memorize the lines and they know the next 
you know, thing, that song or whatever. And so as I was watching uh, the movie, you know, how many of you are familiar with Cinderella? I mean, the general story of Cinderella. And so it's the same story, of course, with a twist. And so uh, the mother, before she passed away, okay, hashtag spoiler alert. <laughs> Excuse me, Paul. <laughs> No, basically, this is just one line that I got from the movie. And the, the mother said, be courageous or have courage and be kind. So he, she was actually leaving this particular you know, character or statement. Uh, we got the last words to, to Ella. Have courage and be kind. So Ella grew up having this mindset of being courageous and being kind to people. I mean, she's like the kindest girl that the movie can actually ever portray until the father remarried and ha- he had a, uh, another wife, second wife. So she had a stepmother and two stepsisters. How many of you are not familiar tracking with me? Okay? And so anyway, to make it short, the movie ended. So we were all having fun. Uh, the girls uh, rode in the back and we were all happy driving home. And my girls started off by, you know, laughter. But then later on, on our journey home, they started fighting. Without, you know, without even me trying to put them together. I mean, it just just came out naturally. And I just reminded them, I said, girls, you look like the stepsisters now. I mean, the way you act, you don't look like uh, Elsa and Anna. You look more like Anastasia and Gisela. And with that, you know what happened? They stopped. We don't want to be like Anastasia and Gisela, you know? I think that is a very good motivation for them to, you know, to be kind. But my point is this, that even as young as our children are, they would find ways naturally to be selfish, to be rebellion, to be rebellious. You know, that's the nature of sin. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, it says, uh, you know, God was talking to Cain, and he said, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must what? Rule over it. But, you know, bottom line is we cannot rule over sin just by ourselves. We need a Savior. We need somebody higher than us that can actually rule over sin. The Apostle Paul even described this thing, you know, in his life. In chapter 7 of Romans, wherein he said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. To be do. <laughs> you know, there's an internal struggle even. See Apostle Paul na to? I mean, he was the, the one who wrote, you know, two-thirds of the New Testament. And he was struggling himself inside his body. This particular thing called Sinful nature, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. I guess my question for us today is, what controls us? Are we controlled by the flesh or the sinful nature? Or are we controlled by the Spirit of God? There are only two ways. That we respond, either we're controlled 
by the flesh, the sinful nature, and ultimately that's rebellion before the Lord, or Spirit of God that ultimately pleases Him. You know, sin is actually very tricky. You can actually choose what kind of sin you can commit, but you can never choose the consequences of that sin in your life. I mean, we're all, we're all familiar probably with different kinds of sin, and maybe there are some sins that are... Um, let me just rephrase that. There are some people that are tempted with certain things... But if you put another kind of per, another group of people, they, they're probably not going to be tempted with those kind of things. Different temptations with different people. Let me just tell you an example. As me and Pastor Sani are comparing notes, and actually we're sharing, you know, every uh, Thursday we're just sharing some insights on the preaching in the future. And, you know, Pastor Sani basically talked about, you know, his past and, you know, like... I used to be a pharmacist. Of course, you know the story, right? He used to be a pharmacist. Drug addict, okay? Drug addict, okay? So he used to use drugs and push it. So he's so familiar with drugs, being a pharmacist. And, I mean, he's talking about some terms that I couldn't even understand. You know, about how to roll this thing, this marijuana, whatever, okay? You know, there's like a jumbo thing, you know, and so or whatever medicine there is. And, of course, if that is the past of a person, and if you put that, maybe there is a higher propensity for that person to be tempted with those things. Whereas in my case, I'm not at all attracted to drugs because I was not familiar with drugs. But I have another problem. That is also not his problem. That is unique to me. Are you, are you getting what I'm saying? And so, but bottom line is, all of us, we all have problems with something. And sin, if we don't deal with sin, it will bring death to us. You know, one very good example is how the Eskimo would catch the white wolf. Uh, in Alaska, what they would do, because uh, wolf is a very fierce animal, they're very keen, they're, they've got very good eyesight, and they have a good sense of smell that if a hunter is nearing that wolf, they would actually attack. And so the hunter, the, the Eskimos, devised a way on how to hunt this prey. And what they did was they would take a dagger, and they would, you know, dip the dagger in a, uh, a pot of fresh blood from a freshly killed animal, what they would do is they would freeze that dagger outside. Once that first coating is frozen, they will dip, uh, put the, dip the dagger again and have a second layer and then freeze it again and dip it again and have a third layer and then freeze it again, dip it again until it becomes a thick dagger. Are you getting the picture? And so the Eskimo would now do is, what, what the Eskimo would now do is he would actually put the dagger in the middle of a field and wait for a spray to smell the fresh blood coming from that dagger. And once the wolf would smell blood, he would go for that dagger. What it will do is it will start licking the dagger like a popsicle stick, flavored blood. Lick and lick. And the more he licks, 
the more he would taste blood. It's kind of like sin. The first time you actually deal with sin, hmm, ta-da. And then you try it again, hmm, mas ma-ta-da. You know, that's how sin is, right? I mean, no one will do sin if it's not good. I mean, let's face it. How many of you, in reality, be honest, okay, enjoyed your sin, that's why you did it in the past? Please raise your hand. Uy, ayaw mamin. I mean, would you do something na hirap ka? Ayoko yan, hirap. Ayoko. I mean, you do something because you're enjoying it. You do something, you in, engage in sin because you're, you're enjoying doing it. And the same is true with the Eskimo. I mean, with the wolf. The more he licks, the more he tastes blood. Until the time that the dagger's blade will come out because the ice has already melted. And the more he licks, he didn't realize that he's actually cutting his own tongue and hurting itself. But wait, he is now tasting fresh blood. And he will get more excited because this is a fresh kill. And he will lick and lick and lick until eventually it will die because of loss of blood. And that is the picture of sin. You know, sometimes we think that we can get away with sin because we tend to enjoy it for a season. We lick, we enjoy it. Okay lang. You know, I'm not hurt. I'm fine. But eventually, your sin will find you out. Think about that for a moment. Remember another story of this prisoner who was imprisoned for double life sentence. And he has been in this particular penitentiary for about two decades at least. That he's already familiar with the policies of this particular prison. One of the practices that they have in the prison is because many of the prison or inmates are, have lost their loved ones already because they no longer visit them because some of them are actually triple life sentence. And so many of them don't have relatives anymore. And so what would happen is if they become old and they would die, they would just be buried at the back of the penitentiary uh, and you know, uh, stay there. And so one of the, the staff of the prison is the undertaker who is in charge of basically digging and burying the dead prisoners. So this particular inmate said to the undertaker, you know what, I've been here for several decades. I already want to get out of this prison. Would you make a deal with me? And, uh, you know, the next time that somebody dies, because there's normally an alarm that informs everybody about the death of a certain prisoner, and that's the time that the undertaker would bring that prisoner out and bury that person. And so the next time that there's an alarm, I would actually sneak inside your coffin, in one of your coffin, and, then, and I'll wait Till you bury that body with me inside and I'll wait for you after two hours or three hours to dig me out of the grave so that I can actually be free outside. And so that was the plan. The undertaker actually agreed. And so, okay, we wait. they waited for the time that another prisoner would die. And true enough, that particular day arrived. And so he heard the alarm signaling that there was a death among the Prison grounds. Okay, so he heard the alarm. 
Something like that, okay? So that was the alarm, or something like that, okay? So that was the alarm, he heard the alarm, and so when he heard that alarm, he knew it was his time to be set free. So he went to the morgue, and so he sneaked into one of the coffin because the undertaker left the coffin open. And so he had with him a cracker and just a flashlight. He said, I'm ready. Homebound. I'm going to be set free. And so he actually heard footsteps that carried that coffin outside the penitentiary, dug a hole there, laid that coffin, and covered it with dirt. He was waiting for two hours for the undertaker to uncover him so that he can actually be set free. The undertaking did not arrive. The undertaker did not arrive. Five hours, no undertaker. Ten hours, no undertaker. He was worried, and then so what he said was, let me just check who's this guy. So he opened his flashlight and realized that was the undertaker that died at that time. And there was no other one who knew about the plan, and so he was stuck with the undertaker there permanently. You know, that's the nature of sin. Sometimes we think that we can actually get out. But sometimes it may actually be too late if we don't repent. But, tell the person beside you, but wait, there's more. It did not end there. Jesus actually had better uh, plans for us. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Everybody say, by no means. We're not to continue in sin. But there's actually a way out. You know, uh, I think it was Randy Alcorn, if if I may just read the quote. And he said this. Talking about grace. He said, any concept of grace that makes us feel more comfortable sinning is not biblical grace. God's grace never encourages us to live in sin, on the contrary, it empowers us to say no to sin and yes to truth. Amen. That is real grace. Grace is not actually claiming forgiveness every time you fall. That's part of it, yes. Sometimes you, the most quoted scripture already is 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. We always claim that. That if we sin, yes, He will forgive. But sometimes that can be beat up already and used as a way of license to sin. But the reality is, if we are really saved and the grace of God is in our lives, guess what? The grace of God teaches us to say no. Tell the person beside you, no. Teaches us to say no to sin and yes to truth. Amen. It empowers you to live a holy life that is pleasing to God. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In fact, in verse 13, Uh, Verse 3, excuse me, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His what? Death. How many of you are baptized already again? Please raise your hand. You know, the moment you were baptized, there are two things that happen, two realities. First is there's a physical reality of baptism. Baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse. It's not sprinkling, it's not showering, it's not, you know, wishik-wishik. It's not pouring water on you. It's immersion. Jesus was immersed. At the age of 30, he was, a, you know, he was already an adult when he was baptized. As a baby, he was dedicated at the temple. But when you go to the waters of baptism, the Bible says we are being baptized into his death. 
There is an identification that happens in the spiritual realm that when you go to the waters of baptism, you are identifying yourself with the death of Jesus Christ. In other words, you also die with Him. Tell the person beside you, tell the person you're dead. To sin, okay? Not literally, but you're dead. We're dead. We're dead in Christ. The moment you get baptized, you're identifying with the death of Jesus Christ. In verse 4, it says, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism again. And as we put you into the waters of baptism, it's an identification of the burial of Jesus Christ. Okay, When you go to the waters, you're actually identifying the same day, I mean the same way Jesus Christ, how many days He was buried? Three days. But we won't let you stay there for three days, Right? In the water. But, you know, we're going to, maybe three seconds, and then when you go rise up, you're rising up in the newness of life. It says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So you're identifying in the waters of baptism. When you go to the waters of baptism, you're identifying with Christ's death, His burial, and His resurrection. And the moment you rise up out of the water, guess what? The picture is you are identifying with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, now giving you the power to say no to sin. Isn't that amazing? That's why I believe that, you know, when you go to the waters, it is not just going to get wet. There's a spiritual repercussion that happens every time you go through the waters of baptism. Amen? Now, by the way, if you came from another church, and if you got baptized already in an evangelical church, you don't have to be rebaptized here in Victory. Okay? Your baptism is valid. So every time you move churches, you don't have to be baptized. Because maybe you move five times, you do have five baptisms. So you don't have to do that, right? Only one baptism is enough. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. Second is, we have freedom in Christ. These are two short... Uh, things I want to share. Freedom in Christ. Everybody say, freedom in Christ. We have been freed in Christ from our slavery or bondage to sin. Verse 5, it says, For if we have been united with Him in death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Verse 6, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to Nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Have you ever seen a dead person? You know, a dead person is someone who cannot move anymore. No emotion, no appetite, no desire. Even if you, for example, if you hate that person and he died, and if you slap him, that person will not stand up and say, how dare you? No. And then go back to you know, lying down. No. Because that person is dead. There's no more reaction, no more feelings, no more emotions, no appetite. Even if the person uh, you know, has a favorite dish, for example, sinigang. Even if you put sinigang on the side of the coffin, that person will not rise up to taste. Mmm, bango. Why? He's dead. In the same way, you and I are dead to sin. And in the area of sin, there's no more appetite for sin. Amen. 
The reason why Jesus Christ allowed us to give us a picture of baptism is because we are already dead to sin so that we can be no longer slaves of sin. And we now have a new master who is the Lord Jesus Christ. For one who has died has been set free from sin. How many of you died already? Ay, umamen, okay? To sin, okay, to sin. How many of you died to sin already? The moment you got saved and born again, you died to sin. The moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you died to sin. And you're now identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in baptism. That's why we can actually say with conviction that I can actually live a victorious and holy life. Not because of what I have done or not because of what I can do, but because of the power of the cross of Christ that backs me up. Amen? That's the power of the cross. We gain forgiveness because of that. In Christ, we died to sin so that we no longer want to continue in sin. No longer the concept of balik-balik. Because sometimes, I don't know, maybe as an older Christian, you're probably wondering, is this all worth it? I've given up all these things in the past. My question is, do you sometimes miss your past sins? Parang nakakamisa. Namiss ko yung mga girlfriends ko. Namiss ko na yung mga ano ko sa past. Guess what? When the moment we got saved, we burned our bridges. There's no more turning back. We're no longer continuing in sin. We're no longer creatures of sin. Guess what? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Amen. We are new in Christ already. There's a new freedom. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And my last point is we have new identity in Christ. New identity in Christ. We're no longer sinners. In fact, your label, your label is no longer a sinner. You are now a saint. Your new identity, official title, saint. What's your first name? Introduce yourself to the person beside you and tell the person, I am Saint. Go, Edre. I am Saint Edre. Saint Edre. Kaya niyo ba yon? I am Saint Bernard. Kanda nung pangalan na yon, di ba? Skidding aside, you know, I believe that all of us ought to realize this and bring this home. The reason why we don't have to serve sin anymore is because we no longer have sin as our master. Jesus is our new master. That is our identity. We're no longer sinners. There's a new label that happens to us, or that's given to us. Verse 10, it says, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In fact, if you go to a maybe a holy, a holy uh, in a, a high school reunion, maybe your high school friends will not recognize you anymore. Diba? Not just because you added more pounds, but you look different, you talk different, your convictions are different, your language, is, your vocabulary is different. When you were in high school, you always say, you know, F words. Now you still have, now you have H words. Hallelujah. Or F words, phrase the Lord. Something like that. 
Of course, not to be weird. But you suddenly have a new conviction. A new outlook in life. A new purpose. A new hope. Because we're saved. St. Augustine, when he was actually uh, converted into Christianity because his past life was rather colorful, and you can actually read this in history books, St. Augustine of Hippo was one of the uh, influential fathers of the faith of the early church. And he used to have an affair with a young maiden. For 13 years, they both have a child until Jesus captured his heart, and then he let this relationship go. And one day, of course, being a Christian, this particular girl went to him and said, Augustine, don't you recognize me? I am your love from the past. And Augustine said to the girl, I know you. You are still the same, but I am no longer myself, for I am now a different person. And I cannot, I cannot say yes to you anymore. And with that, he politely said, no, to the invitation of the girl to have another affair with him. A new identity in Christ. We're no longer the same. We are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Amen. Can we see the Lord praise tonight? Just as I close, I'd like to ask the music team to join me here on stage. Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, said this, We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And that is a good tension. We're not saying before the Lord that we are perfect. We're not saying before the Lord that, you know, I don't need this anymore, but actually it's an appreciation of the gift of grace that He has given us, the acceptance, the love that is actually poured out upon us every single day. I know that there will be a tendency to be tempted, but we need to just hang in there and say, God, I am drawing my strength from you. And all I want to do is to surrender myself. It's not just how much we perform or try to do good or try to do our own will, but how much we surrender before the Lord. When we say we surrender, it's basically drawing our strength from the Lord. It's basically asking Lord, Lord, not my will, but your will. It's basically presenting our bodies to Him as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord, our Savior. My final point as I close, and we'll be praying. As we deepen our relationship with Christ, we will have greater dependence on Him. Then we will continue or continually have dominion over sin. Do you like to overcome sin? It all starts from having a relationship with Jesus. We cannot overcome sin. We're going to change ourselves. We are incapable of doing that. But with a relationship with Jesus, abiding in the vine, then we draw our strengths from Him. And He's the one that sustains us every single day. We hope you were inspired by that message. Listen to more podcasts from our website at www.victoryalabang.org and in the Victory Alabang app. Thank you and stay connected.